Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. And I pray, Lord, as we study your word this morning, um, we, we learn a little bit more about how to experience your goodness in our lives because so many people have heard your good. We've talked about it. The church has preached about your goodness, but so many fail to experience it. And Lord, we know it's not your fault. We know you've given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. We know you've promised life and that more abundantly. But yet in the world we live in, Lord, it's hard to see sometimes. Even in the church, it's hard to see. And I thank you for your word that makes it so clear and so simple and so pure. Lord, and I pray that we would get it, that we would hear you and heed what you have to say, Lord, so we can understand exactly how to experience these things, that they're not just academic or heady, Lord, but they are the story of our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's hopeful people said, Amen. 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 John chapter 15. I'm going to go ahead and read the the passage we'll look at this morning, and then we'll go back and and look over it together. We're going to start in verse 9 of John 15. It says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. So if you've been coming for uh, a couple of weeks, we've been traveling through uh, the whole Gospel of John. Uh, Chapter 14 really began this section after the Lord's Supper. Jesus began to teach them just the final things. This is the night before his crucifixion. And these are the final teachings of Jesus to the disciples before he uh, is crucified, uh, buried, and then uh, resurrected, rises again to be with the Father. And so interesting what he tells them and and the things he's explaining. And and it started out in chapter 14 with their hearts being troubled and them being full of, of sorrow. And now, in in chapter 15, Jesus is talking about joy. The the possibility for joy. When they started with sorrow and they were uh, discouraged, all these things he's telling them, and he's telling us, are for people that have troubled hearts. You're worried, you're anxious, you're confused. And and all of these promises in these chapters are very, very appropriate for us today. Chapter 15, Jesus spoke about the vine and the branches, the connectedness, the relationship with him that uh, changes our lives, that, that brings about uh, a transformation in our lives. We, we so often try to do things, you know, we're, we're just such a prideful people that we figure, well, we're going to do it ourselves. Anybody here like that? Like, well, if it's going to be done, I'm going to do it my way, I'm going to do it myself. And Jesus said to them, you can't do it yourself. It's not possible. 
You have to be connected to me to do anything. And so that requires that we yield, that we submit, that we humble ourselves and, and, and confess that, yes, I can't do it. Boy, what a great place when you finally give up. Isn't that? It's a, it feels like it's so hard to get there. And you watch people go through it like dying to themselves. Like, oh, it's so painful to watch. But once they get there, it's beautiful. Man, when they finally give up, I can't do it. So uh, we, we get to verse 9. And Jesus says to them, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Same love for the, the Father had for Christ is the same love that Christ has for us. And that's not in question. That's never been in question. It's there. Christ loves you. And for some of you, and I recognize in a room of people, this many people, that some of you may not even have ever experienced genuine love before in your life. You didn't come from a loving family. You haven't had loving relationships. And so that someone would love you is hard to think that God would love you is hard to fathom. But Jesus says, just like God loved me, the Father loved me, so I have loved you. And then here's what the commandment for us, that's not in question, that's a given. Jesus loves you. Well, he, he, and, he, and this is the thing, he knows everything about you and he still loves you. That's the miracle, right? He knows everything about you. There's nothing hidden from him. He knows what you did when you were a teenager. He knows what you did yesterday. He knows that you kicked the dog on the way out of the house this morning to church because you were frustrated because you burnt the eggs and the toast fell on the floor and the butter went side down as it always does. And you got mad and you yelled at the kids on your way here. It's amazing. We come to church and, and, and all the way in the car, shut up back there, kids, sit down. I'm, I'm pulling this car over. And then you come to church, how are you guys doing this one? We're fine. We're fine. But here's what he says to you and I. My love is there for you. Abide in it. And we talked last week about the word abide. It means to remain, to settle down in. And people can be so fickle because we're always chasing something else. We we get something in our life and then, well, that gets boring or that gets old or that isn't as exciting as it used to be. And so we start looking for other things. And Jesus says, just settle down in your relationship with me. Abide in my love. Now, it's interesting that this is what he's telling the disciples because the danger, no doubt, is that as Jesus leaves them physically, bodily, he leaves the Holy Spirit with them internally, but they're going to be temptation. They're going to face temptation that this other group is doing this and that other group is doing that. Maybe we should get get, uh, and do over there what they're doing or maybe we should think about this over here. And Jesus is saying, look, I know the temptation that you're going to face. You're going to be tempted to Anna sang about it, my wandering heart. And so he's telling the disciples this. And now, interestingly, you you marked Revelation chapter 2, right? Go there right now with me. This is Jesus speaking to the church in Ephesus. Chapter 2, verse 1, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write... These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. This is what he's speaking to the church and its pastor, the church in Ephesus. He says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. So good things, he he notices first, good things about this church. 
And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. All good things, aren't they, church? All good things. But what does he notice? He says, verse 4, and and this sort of negates, not negates, but sort of the, the cloud hanging over all the good things that he just said about them. He says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you've left your first love. That you've left, you've left, not you've lost, and your fir- not that your first love has left you. That's why Jesus says, abide in my love. Why the reality is, the temptation is, that we will leave our first love. He says right here, nevertheless I have this against you, you have left your first love. And there are very, very possibly some in here that are in that very place right now. Jesus is saying to you, abide in my love. Chill out, relax, get used to it. Be at home, be comfortable with me. Don't be afraid to talk about me at work. I mean, you know, imagine if I had a job, you know, well, of course, I'm a pastor. I work one day a week. But uh, if I had a job where it wasn't, you know, acceptable to talk about, uh, you know, Christ or something like that, what if it was my my wife we were talking about? And I go into work, and and I don't have any pictures of her, and, and I never talk about her to anybody at work. I never say anything about her. I mean, that would, what would that say to her about my relationship with her? When you're in love, you talk about the person you love. And so he says, here's the thing I have against you. You've left your first love. So what's the remedy? Verse 5 says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. Repent. So th- this is the answer. If you've left your first love, if you're not abiding in Christ or, or comfortable settling down in that relationship, then, then repent. Change your mind. Do the things that, that you did when you were first in love with him. Now, maybe some people just have never been there. You don't know him. You've never kind of received him in your life. But for those of you that do, you know, maybe you've been saved 20, 30, 40 years, and you're going through the motions. Marriage gets like that, doesn't it? Relationships get like that. It's going through the motions. You know, that's what they were doing. They had all the works. They were doing all the things. They had, a, you know, some busyness in their church, but... They left their first love. So the question for us, back to John 15, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Well, what does that look like? What if I want to repent? What are those first works? What are the things that that, uh, help me to, to experience that love of God, the love of Christ? Look at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So Christ sets himself as the example of abiding or remaining, being sustained by uh, the love of God. Christ was perfectly obedient to the Father. He, did, he only did what God told him to do. He only said what God said for him to do. He was you know, in his 30s, and he committed his whole, he laid down his life to God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll do whatever. And, and of course, love is behind all of this. And we'll, we'll get on to that as we move through the verses. But what's interesting to me, and I think this is a, kind of reflection, reflected in the prayer I prayed as we started, is it's epidemic in the church, I think, uh, from my experience, to uh, come and be participating in the Sunday morning and, and maybe some activities. But when I leave these doors, I do whatever I want. And this is the culture we live in, isn't it? I'm going to do things my way. Every man does what's right in his own eyes. And it's amazing to me. And it's hard, folks. Listen, it's hard to get the phone calls. 
from people that say, I don't know God loves me. I got all this stuff going on in my life. I don't know that God loves me. And, and then they start to tell me about their life. Well, yeah, I met this guy, and, uh, you know, we, we moved in together. Well, is he a believer? No, he's not a believer. But, but you know, but I love him, and we're living together. And then I found out he drinks a lot, and, 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 and he beat me up the other day, and, and now I don't have a place to live. And, and it just breaks my heart because obedience to the word of God would have rescued that person from all of that. If we would just, but this is the thing. We, we say, we come in here, we sing the songs, love you, God. Uh, I know you love me, but I'm going to do things my way. And then I'm going to wonder why in the world my life is falling apart. And why I, I can't understand, if God loves me, why am I living this way? Now, hard things happen. We know that. And it's not because of your disobedience to God that hard things happen. Sometimes things just happen. But even in that, you can choose to obey or disobey. And obedience, it's such a, like, we don't even like the word obedience. You know, it sounds like a dog. You know, my, I take my dog for obedience training. Look, the love of God is practically express, expressed to you and experienced by you in the things he's told you to do. Like any good parent, you want your kids to do well, right? You want your kids to be blessed, right? So you tell them, you know, don't smoke, don't chew, and don't date girls that do. Uh, don't be careful you know we give our kids direction because we love them and we want to uh, them to avoid the stupid things we did when we were their age and then we get surprised when they repeat the same thing as if somehow we were better than them we did the same stuff kids in here we did the same things you guys did when you were when you were young and we're hoping maybe you would learn from us but the problem you're just as hard-headed as we were too His commandments aren't burdensome. And if we would just listen and trust him, then we would experience that practical love of God, that, that practical life that, that we've been promised. Do, do you agree with this? Do you see what, what Jesus is trying to say? So, you've got to ask, so the first thing you've got to do is you've got to know what he wants you to do. You've got to know what his word says. So you've got to be people of the book. You've got to dive in and dig in and talk about Facebook to put your face in the book. Just put your face right in there. And when I was in, when I, when I was just, I've been saved about 19 years or so, 20 years, I guess now. And first got saved, I just remember I, I was serving in a church and I didn't really know God's word. I remember being just so convicted, like, if I'm going to be serving anywhere, doing anything, I think I ought to know what God says. And it just, it just drove me a hunger to know God, to know what he wants for me, and to know what he wants for me. And so that's what John is saying. That's what Jesus is saying. Here's what John is recording. If, and this is a conditional clause. It's a conditional statement, meaning that if you do this, then the result will be that. If you choose to listen to God, to listen to Jesus, do what he says, then the result will be you will abide in his love. The rebellious child is still loved by their parents, even though they exasperate them tremendously. Having a rebellious child is hard. It's frustrating. God had a, a whole nation of them. But they can't experience your love practically. There's a separation there. But the child who's obedient, who listens, who, who gets it, who gets the relationship, experiences the blessing of his parents. And, and God is no different. So if you 
keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. The same way Jesus kept his Father's commandments and, and abides in his love. Now, this is fantastic. Verse 11 says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Do you see the connection? Jesus has talked about my peace back in, in the first part of chapter 15. Now he's talking about my love and my joy. The, I'm telling you this, church, so that you can have joy in the midst of a world with increasing amount of depression. I pulled this article off the internet just last night. And uh, the article has to do with the dramatically increasing diagnosis and treatment of depression, which is what, which is what we are experiencing. It says severe disabling mental illness has dramatically increased in the U.S. The tally of those who are dis- so disabled by mental disorders that they qualify for SSI or SSD uh, increased nearly two and a half times between 1987 and 2007, from one in 184 Americans to one in every 76. Now, this is the real startling thing. For children, the rise is even greater, a 35-fold increase in the same two decades. In 1998, Martin Seligman uh, the president of the American Psychological Association spoke to the national press about the epidemic. He said, We're dis- we discovered two astonishing things about the rate of depression across the century. The first was there's now between 10 and 20 times as much of it as there was 50 years ago. And the second is that it has become a young person's problem. He says, when he first started working in the area 30 years ago, the average age of onset was 29 and a half years old. Now the average age of depression onset is between 14 and 15 years old. And the article goes on to talk about, well, is it because now there's an overdiagnosis and all the statistics show, no, that's not the problem. One, one man suggests that part of the problem is the actual medications pro- uh, exacerbate the problem. So we, we have this problem with depression, so we medicate it, and the medication actually causes the problem to be worse. If you're interested in the article, I'd be glad to, to send it to you. But what they're also noticing is an increase in isolation an increase in pressure and stress. And, you know, kids now t- take out tremendous student loans, have tremendous amount of financial debt to get jobs that they don't even like. And the whole thing, the whole system of the world is promoting uh, depression and failure and these kind of things. So, uh, again, I, the article was, was quite lengthy. But what interested me was that here the Word of God boldly says, Jesus says, you can have my joy. You can have my joy. And some of you think it's not even possible. Well, it is possible. And the way, the way to have it is, is if you abide in my command, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. And if you abide in my love, just like I abide in my Father's love, then you'll have my joy. There's no shortcut. That, that's about as short as you can get right there. It's like two steps, you know. So how do I, so the question is, do you, would you say, not, not just joy, he says, these things I'm speaking to, I'm telling you this, that my joy can remain in you. Not just a, you know, joy is different than happiness. Happiness is like circumstantial, and some people's lives are up and down and up and down. You know, things go good, yay, I'm celebrating, and things go bad, oh no, now I'm depressed, and up and down, up and down. He says this state of joy can be permanent. It can remain no matter what the circumstances Read the book of Acts, and the disciples get, you know, they're preaching the word of God. They get beat up and tossed in prison, and it says, and they rejoiced because they were counted worthy to suffer for his sake, to suffer shame. 
It was perspective. Because they were doing, you know, you, you think about Jesus, the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. says Jesus, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. You think Jesus enjoyed what he went through? He said, the, the writer of Hebrews says he despised the shame of it. Very shameful. But he endured it for the joy that was set before him. Now, what was that joy? Was that joy seeing us saved? Certainly. But I think the greatest joy that Jesus had was running his race, doing and obeying his Father. That's what he lived for. And if you live for that, if you choose, if you live for success and prosperity and materialism and advancement and all these things that the world tells you you need. I mean, some parents, you feel guilty. And moms, you're always comparing yourself to each other. And you feel guilty if your kids aren't doing as well as those kids are. But you don't live in their house with them. You, know, you don't know the strife or the, the difficulty or the pressures. Be careful of judging on, by, based on exteriors. And, and we feel guilty if our kids don't play 17 sports and get all-stars in every one of them. And then they're going to go to college and play. And then, it, and all, Forget it. You can't, it's, listen to me, you can't win. You can't win. but you can obey God. And I don't care how many trophies you have in your case, I'm going to die with joy. That's I, Whatever. Lord, whatever you want. I don't have to be somebody. I have nothing to prove. But I don't, I, you know, but what an what a awful existence to be just, to have all those trophies or all that money or all that success and be miserable. Proverbs says it's better to, to have a, uh, a dinner of, of lettuce, herbs, you know, have a salad where there's love than to have a full buffet with all the fixings where there's hatred. And I would agree with that. The Bible also says the way of the transgressor is hard. If you choose not to listen to the Lord, if you choose to walk away from the Lord, if you chose, choose to disobey, say, well, I want to do things my way, hey, you're in for a hard road. You're in for a hard road. That's the way God designed it because sin hurts you and God loves you. He doesn't want to see you hurting. Amen? That's why he tells you what he tells you. My joy can remain in you, and that your joy may be to the fullest. Like you couldn't fit any more joy in. Like, Steve, would you like some more joy? No, no, I've got enough. Thank you. I am full. No, I couldn't do. It's like going to the buffet. Could you another bite? No, I've, I've had enough. Couldn't. Imagine if that was our, the reality of our lives with joy. Joy, a little more joy, Steve? No, 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 I'm full. Thank you very much. I'm full. So keep, he tells us to keep his commandments. We can buy his love. What, what is this all about? Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So we've heard that commandment before, love your neighbor as yourself, but this he changes the, the dynamic of it, doesn't he? No longer is it love your neighbor as yourself. It's, what's he say? Love one another as I have loved you. Well, Jesus, how have you loved us? Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. I've not, talked to a lot of people, met a lot of people, gotten into a lot of discussions, and I was talking to a guy about a year ago, he no longer lives around here. We were talking about life. You know, what's life all about? He says, you know what, I just want to live, on, I just want to be by myself. I just want to live a peaceful life. I don't want to mess with, I don't mess with you. You don't mess, mess with me, and, and everybody be happy. 
to stay out of, you stay out of my stuff, I'll stay out of your stuff, and that's how I'm going to have peace. And if you want that life, then Christianity's not going to work for you. Because he says, greater love has no one than this. We're not called to have peaceful lives. We're called to have lives of love. And when you step into someone else's life with love, it's ugly. I mean, when, it's like you've got to step into other people's yuck if you're a Christian. Because that's what love demands. You, know, to, you lay down your life for your friends. And that's, you know, it seems kind of weird when Jesus says, and you're my friends if you do whatever I command you. I mean, that's my kind of friends, right? Whatever I tell you to do, that's what you're going to do, right? That's my kind of friends. But, but the heart behind this is, you know, and we struggle. We have like 50,000 Facebook friends. But again, talking to people, it's like, how many people do you have that are close friends? None. Especially men, you guys. No friends. Nobody you can talk to. Nobody that you do talk to. No one you can confide in. And, and the reason is because you've never been a friend. The Bible says to have, to, to, to have a friend, you must first be found friendly. Because so many people come into church and say, well, I was in need and no one came. Or I needed this and no one helped. Or I needed that and no one was there for me. And then usually I ask, well, who have you been there for? Have you be, you be a friend. You lay down your life for people and you find that others will lay, because you'll have friends, right? You'll have friends. And, and the friends that I have in my life, and believe me, pastors, this is why there's such pastor burnout. You know, you think, well, I'm, I must have a lot of friends. You know, you, we can have a lot of relationships, but not a lot of friendships. Friendships take work. And it involves the ability to call up somebody and say, man, I need a favor. I'm in, I'm in trial. I need some help. I need a ride. I need this. And that friend says, you know what? I had this scheduled, but I'm going to cancel it, and I'll be there for you. That's what a friend does, right? And that's what Jesus is saying. And, and he did it in the ultimate way. Greater love. There's no, we're all into extreme stuff, right? How about extreme love? We've got extreme this and extreme that and extreme, you know, all kinds of weird extreme sports. But what God is interested in is extreme love. Great, there's no, this is the greatest love, he says, is to actually lay down your life. Now, if, if husbands and wives did this, because I, I would think the closest friend you have is your, your spouse, your children. What if children laid down their lives for their parents? Whoa. Are we in the kingdom now? I mean, is, have we died and gone to heaven? What if children, I mean, look, there's no special gospel for, for marriages. There's no special gospel for parenting. There's no special gospel for work. It's all the same. If a husband lays down his life for his wife, and a wife lays down, what does it mean to lay down your life? I take a bullet for my wife, but don't ask me to do the dishes. <laughs> the game is on, honey. I got stuff to do. Where's that popcorn? No, laying down your life means putting aside what you wanted, what you desired, what you had planned, because you see there's a need that someone else has. That's what it means in a practical sense to lay down your life. That's the kind of life that brings joy. Believe it or not, it sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? But I dare you to try it. I dare you to try that kind of life. And you, you put God's word to the test. You see, if you go, yeah, didn't work for me. Only if you're still being selfish, then you're going to be disappointed. 
But if you're truly listening to the Lord and you desire to obey him and you lay down your life for your friends and for him because he's laid down his life for us, 33 years old, crucified for love. Greater love has known than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. And he says, you're my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I've heard from my father I have made known to you. A servant, he just does whatever's told. God tells us why. He gives us the whole story. We're like a friend. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And a point which is a miracle in and of itself. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, and he ends it with, uh, well, for today, that you love one another. Why do you think he's got to command that? Because it's against selfishness. And and we're, the natural state of mankind is self. And we foster that, look, parents with with families and young kids foster it we foster in our kids great selfishness because we go out of our way parents we laid down our lives for our kids but then we never teach them to lay down their lives for others we lay down our lives for them they think they're in charge of everything they get everything handed to them and then we wonder why there's bullying in schools and we wonder why they grow up to be selfish because we've taught them that everything exists for them now look you know we, we lay down our lives for our kids we know that it's true But we also have to make sure our kids recognize that the buck doesn't stop with them. That they learn to lay down their lives. And as a family, you can promote that. You can do, you can, you know, you can serve as a family. You can find things to do to show them, hey, we're going to put aside what we want to do today so we can help somebody else who has a need. It's very, very healthy. It's very, very godly. Amen? So we're going to share communion together today. If the folks that uh, are preparing communion would, uh, would get that uh, ready to serve. And so the challenge is back to that uh, Revelation passage. There's a, another Revelation passage that may be appropriate to some this morning. And that's in the third chapter of Revelation And it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open to me. Let me say that again. Behold, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open to me, then I will come in. And I will dine with them. We'll share fellowship together. And he with me. So for some of you, uh, again, I don't know all of you. Maybe some of you, you've just kept the door closed to God. And, but for others of us, maybe the, the communion exhortation to you is you've left your first love. It, it so, happens so easy, doesn't it? It happens so easy. Life is busy. We have obligations. We have things. We're like, oh. and, and why is it that God always comes last when there's obligations? Why is it time with him that's always gets put, put to, the, to the side? Because I got other things. Because the grass is growing like crazy right now. I'd love to go to church. I'm, spe- I'm preaching to the choir. But man, there's so many things to do. Be careful. Because it's a slippery slope, isn't it, folks? You've got to abide in Christ. 
Y'all can come on with the communion. Where's Nick? Is Nick coming up here? Come on up, Nick. So the, uh, the stage is here. The cross is here. I'm going to get out of the way. Uh, we're going to serve communion. Uh, hold on to it when it comes to you. Hold the cup and hold the bread. And we'll all partake together after just a time of uh, Nick's going to, you know, sing a few songs just to uh, promote and generate some thought. And as the communion comes around, hold on to it. If, if you um, are not saved, if you, if you don't know Christ and you don't feel comfortable partaking of these things, then let them pass by. But I want you to know that this is an invitation from God to you to join yourself to him and to experience the very things we talked about this morning. Joy, peace, love in your life. Amen? Amen.